This summer, uh, season four of a show on Netflix came out called Stranger Things. Anybody seen Stranger Things season four? If you don't know Stranger Things, just grab one of our youth and ask them what Stranger Thing is. They'll they'll tell you about it. So season four uh, came out, and uh, Judy, my wife, and Katie, my daughter, had watched season seasons one through three. I had not. And so I jumped into season four without any kind of backstory or character development of that whole three seasons. And, and so it was like I opened a novel uh, uh, three quarters of the way through and there was this movement and information and characters, a story without any kind of context or, or background. And so they tried to catch me up as we, as we went along. Why is this guy in a Russian prison is what, you know, as I was, I was asking. Uh, why, is, why is he there? So jumping in the middle can also happen in a worship series where maybe you haven't been here or you've forgotten uh, past two weeks in this worship series, the movement, information, story without context. And so if, if you're jumping in today, I want to give you just a, a very brief backstory so you'll know where we are on this day. God raised up the people called Methodists with a particular calling to preach and teach that faith that through faith in Jesus Christ, it is possible to experience full salvation and freedom from sin's power in your life. Full salvation. There's some words that we use for that same description. Perfect love, holiness, Christian perfection. That's all words that are used Similar definitions to describe this trajectory of Methodism. Two weeks ago, I shared with you that we have lost that trajectory and that we must gain that trajectory. I want to invite you to join me at Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 43, if you brought your Bible with you this morning. Matthew chapter 5, that's New Testament, one of the Gospels. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. So we're, we're jumping into uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Kind of like I jumped into season 4 of, of, uh, of Stranger Things. We're jumping into Jesus' Sermon on the Mount it's his most lengthy sermon. Uh, scholars call it a discourse. It's his most lengthy discourse. It's the one that he was on the mountain. Large crowds had gathered around, and Jesus went up to the mountainside, and he sat down, and he began to teach. And he said this, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? 
And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Line 48, verse 48, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Have you noticed that we are living in an increasingly us versus them society? It's volatile and it's vitriol. I measure you, you measure me. We put each other into categories. We create the ins and we create the outs. It's a sinful human tendency that's been going on for a long time. When, when Jesus said these words, it was uh, the Jews are in, the Gentiles are out. Oh, the tax collectors, Pharisees, depending on who you're hanging out with, they're out as well. And, and we're in. We, we make these who's in and, and who's out. So Jesus arrives on the scene, and he brings this ethic called a kingdom. We saw that that kingdom in Hebrews this morning is unshakable. It is revolutionary newness with particular identity markers. One marker being manifested, unrestricted love that reflects the character of the Heavenly Father. Love your enemies. That concept is unheard of until Jesus speaks them on the side of the mountain. Did you notice where Jesus says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. And then he says, love your enemy. Love your enemies. A manifested, unrestricted love, an identity marker of the kingdom of Jesus, that this kingdom that Jesus is bringing to be perfect like our Heavenly Father in loving our enemies. So let's be honest. Loving your enemies is really not something you want to do. Let's be honest. You would like to scratch that out of your Bible. Let's be honest. When you come upon this verse and others like it, we're offended. We want to lay that passage aside. We, we want to take the Thomas Jefferson approach to Scripture with a, a razor and glue and cut out and paste together our own version of Scripture. This call to holiness, to perfection, it's not new. Leviticus 19.2, you must be holy because I, Yahweh, your God am holy. Deuteronomy 18, 13, you must be holy before Yahweh, your God. Manifested, unrestricted love is a reflection of God's love who sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us while we were yet, what? Sinners. While we were all enemies manifested unrestricted love perfection and nothing less as to what jesus calls his disciples perfect love seemingly impossible faced its naysayers when jesus spoke those words perfect love faced its naysayers in wesley's day and also in our day you ever been in a small group a Bible study or Sunday school class and you encountered the theme of perfection as a, and as a group you just dismissed it. Well, nobody's perfect, right? 
You just dismiss it as class. Somebody speaks up. Well, nobody's perfect. And that ends the conversation on it. We don't lay aside difficult and challenging passages. We press into them. We seek to understand them, to discern them, to study them. I saw this quote that kind of sums this up uh, this week. It says, when my opinions contradict the Bible, it's not the Bible that needs to change. For us Methodists, Scripture is to be received through the Holy Spirit as the true rule and guide for faith and practice. Wesley experienced some pushback in his day for calling the Methodist people to perfected love. And oftentimes in his sermon, he would write in the negative and then write in the positive. He, he would write this whole section on, it's not this section in a sermon. And then he would write, it's this in a section of sermon. And, and he does that in his sermon titled Christian Perfection. And, and Reverend Lane last week covered the, it is this section so this sermon on christian perfection by john wesley is part of our doctrinal standards so there's five negative statements i want to share with you today perfect love is not perfect knowledge perfect love is not free from mistakes perfect love is not free from infirmities Perfect love is not free from temptation. Perfect love is not free from the need to grow in grace further. Perfect love does not mean that there's a special knowledge given or that you will have a full knowledge of all circumstances or a full understanding of the ways that God works. Perfect love is not perfect knowledge. Perfect love does not mean that a person is free from mistakes. They can still forget things, lose things, spill a drink. A pushback comes when we say, well, nobody's perfect. Perfect love, Christian perfection, is not perfection of performance. It is not mistakelessness without error. Remember what perfect love is. Freedom. To love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Freedom to love your neighbor. Freedom from and power over willfully violating God's commands. That's one definition among several. Perfect love does not mean free from infirmities. It does not mean that a person is immune from getting sick or getting cancer or the flu or getting COVID. Or being in an accident, or cutting their finger, or allergies, or diabetes, or Alzheimer's, or dementia, or mental mistakes, or or having the experience of normal human emotions. Perfect love is a gift from God that comes through faith, regardless of intellectual abilities, or education level, or titles in front of names. Perfect love does not mean being free from temptation. Perfect in love persons will still have temptations. God's grace gives the power to a new freedom to resist sin and shatter patterns of sinning rather than submitting to it. Jesus gives you the power to not sin. 
you do not have to keep on sinning. You can be free from what besets you, whether that's patterns in life or habits or addictions. You can experience freedom. Get around some folks who have been addicted. Drugs, alcohol, whatever. And are now free. They will tell you, it's not them who set them free. We can be free from patterns and habits and addictions. We can experience freedom. 1 John 3.19 says this, Those who have been born of God do not sin. Let's cut that one out, right? No. Let's lean into it. Let's study that. Let's ask God through the power of the Holy Spirit to do what God says that he will do. We don't take a razor to the passage. We lean into it. Let's be honest again. Most of us have a sin that plagues us, that tempts us, that woos us, that we've been wrestling with for quite some time. We give into it sometimes. Let's be honest with that. Can we be honest? That's a reality. What's greater, God's grace or sin's power? I hope your answer to that is God's grace. You do not have to sin. The devil is not making you do that. When you are in Jesus, you are a new creation, and he gives you the power to say no. When by faith you receive perfect love, A new depth of the power of sin is experienced in your life. You do not have to sin. Perfect love does not mean that you, does not free you from the need to grow further. We are still on a journey. Jesus has his hard hat construction uh, hat on and he's renovating our hearts. We still need to grow daily in grace. An entirely sanctified person is entirely sanctified as long as they continue to cooperate with God's grace and walk in the freedom that they've received. We are a continuing grace construction project. The message of the Methodist, the wholehearted pursuit of perfect love, That's the message. The method of the Methodist. Wholehearted pursuit of perfect love done in community. Not in large community or large gatherings, but in small community, small gatherings. Not in rows, but in circles where we are knee to knee with one another. Where we tell people the truth about where we are in life, about our relationship with God and others. And it's there that we receive encouragement to keep moving forward, even when moving forward means acknowledging when you have fallen short. The trajectory of the Methodist has been this message and this method, and both have all been lost and may be rejected. So here are the good news. God's grace is greater than your sin. God takes the first step. We repent of our sin and brokenness and we turn toward Christ. God does a work for us, forgiving us of our sins, liberating us from the power of guilt, restoring us to a right relationship with us. 
God in part restores you into the image of God. The old is gone, the new has arrived. There is freedom from the power of sin, but God doesn't let up. There is more perfect love received by grace through faith. Freedom from the being of sin. Freedom to love God and neighbor with the, to the exclusion of sin. Where Jesus reigns in your heart without rival. God will make this happen. For he who calls you is faithful. Expect it by faith. Expect it as you are. Expect it now. When the early Methodists received perfect love, they began testifying and sharing their testimony about that. There's a power. There's power. When we hear other people's stories, there's power. Listen, there's power. When we hear other people's stories of how God's grace has brought them from here to here. Transformed people share their story of transformation. How God has brought them from here to here. Has God given you victory? Maybe today in your Sunday school class you can share that. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you love us where we are and that that love doesn't leave us where we are, but it takes us to a place of transformation. Lord, keep up the good work that you've started in our lives. Today could be a new day for some folk. Could be a day of salvation of that initial yes to wooing to a relationship with Jesus. Today could be a day where someone says, I'd like to experience this perfected love. Expect it by faith. Expect it as you are. Expect it now. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen.